Have you ever been on a work retreat? You know that one that the supervisor plans and gets super excited about, that you're halfway excited about? And, and, uh, and you, go with, you go with your team and, and you go somewhere, right? You leave town. You, you join together, sometimes, sometimes in a picturesque location. But, but whatever it is, it's away from the noise and a chance to gather, right? And what's one of the purposes of these retreats? Well, one, and I think you would argue, is, is it just gives you time to, to focus on the deeper things that make your organization work, right? You, you might work on a project, but you're likely oriented on, on you know, values-level stuff, principles. Why are we here? What are we doing? Before you re-engage when you come back. You often do this in other areas of life. You know, to mark a significant moment, you might go somewhere. When I invited Dory to be my girlfriend, we were in Boone, North Carolina. I was like, you know what? We should get out of town. Not really. But we went 20, 20 minutes away, and I, I took her to this lake in the mountains, and we sat on this swing. I said, Dory, will you be my girlfriend? You're welcome, honey. Maybe you've done that with, with an engagement proposal. You've gone somewhere. You've, you've marked the occasion. You've left to talk about something important. Well, this morning, Jesus is taking his friends on a retreat. He's, he's traveled about 25 miles northeast to an area called Caesarea Philippi. And there he has a very important thing for them to discover. You see, whereas we try to find the, the, the pristine and quiet places, Jesus sort of took his friends to Vegas. You see on the backdrop of, of this location, Mount Hermon is in the background. And this ancient city has represented shrines from culture to culture to other pagan gods. Its, its name, in fact, represents veneration to the current emperor, Caesar Augustus, and the current tetrarch of Philip. Humble, right? It's in this backdrop of relativity that absolute has arrived. And it's here, even today, the question that either haunts or grants us freedom is here this morning. So join me as we read together Matthew 16, verses 13 and following. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one 
that he was the Christ. Let's pray. God, you have spoken, and we're here to listen. Jesus, would you rise as the focal point of our attention this morning? Apprehend our hearts to see you, to want you, to leave this place changed by your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The one who sent God is God. Messiah is Yahweh. Christ is the Lord. Jesus is God. I tried to add a little unction in there to see if it would ruse you. Isn't that just it? If you're like me, we've, we've been in the church, we've, we've been exposed to, to Scripture, the story of redemptive history. We, we've heard it all. And somehow the luster of that confession is gone. In some ways, we're like, yeah, it doesn't grab me anymore. I, I believe it, but it's time to move on. We, we think that the ABCs of the gospel are something that we're to graduate from. To move on to something headier, something more practical. When Jesus' intention is to take his friends, take you and I on a retreat in the midst of a chaotic and relative world and ask, who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question determines everything. Everything. Or maybe you, you've been a Christian for a long time and frankly you're just dis disillusioned by the fact that I professed his name and my life is still hard. I still struggle with this and that. Maybe. So what do we do when we hear this confession? Well, this morning I want us to see that we do one thing. And God does two things. We do one thing, God does two things. We rationalize Him. What do we do? We rationalize Him. Look, look at verses 13 and 14 when... When, you know, imagine Jesus, he's walking with his buds, they're going out of town, they're wondering about the bread they have, they don't have enough, and they're just eating, and, and, and uh, you know, they sit down, and Jesus is like, you know, what, uh, what's the buzz? What, what are the headlines about me? Or what's the noise in the crowds? And what is their answer? Their answer is like a fourfold representative uh, of, of what the murmurs are, are saying. One is John the Baptist. Do you remember when Herod, he actually thought that Jesus was the resurrected Jesus come back to convict him? <laughs> There's one answer. The other is Elijah. Who was Elijah? He was one of the greatest prophets. Before an evil empire, God did powerful things through him. He's on the, the hall of fame for, for Israel. What about Jeremiah? Also known as the weeping prophet. Also in the hall of fame known for his suffering as he prophesied to a rebellious people. Jesus, you're, you're one of them. In other words, he's a prophet. He's a spokesman. You know, imagine you're at the Y and you're playing ball. Uh, sometime in the past. And you're with there, it's like your dads and your and, and sons, and they're out there playing, and, and someone on and Michael Jordan's on the court. And uh, 
he's here for a family reunion of something. I, I'm not sure. And, and one, of the, you know, one of the teenage boys goes up to him and said, man, you're really good. You could, you could really make it if you wanted to. Have you ever thought, I mean, were you, did you ever do anything? You're like, you're amazing. As sincere as our compliment might have been, it's an insult, right? Okay, if you're a LeBron James fan, I'm telling you, Michael Jordan is still <laughs> one of the best. He's a North Carolina guy. You see, we can get close, but miss them altogether. A half-truth masqueraded as a whole truth is a lie. So to get him close to right is to reject him. You know, the, the world has been doing this. It's lifelong, since Christ anyway. What is it? You know, Buddhists say that Jesus was wise. They say he was thoughtful and enlightened. Hindus say Jesus was the incarnation of God, similar to Krishna. Jehovah's Witnesses say he was an archangel like Michael who became a man. Mormons say he was a spirit human who inherited divine powers. And Muslims believe he was a prophet, a miracle worker, but not crucified. Okay, okay, we don't, we don't belong to any of those tribes, right? Let me see if I can bring it closer to home. With the help of another pastor, see which one of these fits your waist size pretty good. There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heal our past, tell us how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversation, drives a hybrid, goes to film festivals. There's Touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's Martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's Gentle Jesus who was meek and mild, high cheekbones, flowing hair, walks around barefoot and looks German. There's Yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars and buy a boat. There's Platitude Jesus who's good for Christian cards and bad sermons and Christmas specials. He inspires us to believe in ourselves and lifts us up so we can walk on mountains. There's Guru Jesus, inspirational teacher, who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's Boyfriend Jesus, who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's Good Example Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. There's Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street and for reducing carbon footprints and spending other people's money. There's Republican Jesus, who's against tax increases and activist judges and for family values and owning firearms. To be almost right about Jesus is to be totally wrong. He used a phrase to refer to himself called the Son of Man. If you've been in church, you've heard this quite a bit. And this is what he loved to call himself, you know? It's like a weird way to refer to yourself in the third person. You know, if I was his friend, I'm like, come on, man, get real. Give me your name. Like, who's the Son of Man? Who do you call the Son of Man? And, uh, but it could mean two things. One, it could just be a generic, I'm just a guy. Or it could allude to Daniel chapter 7 about... The one coming down in clouds with authority and power 
to inaugurate the kingdom. Why does Jesus embrace the ambiguity? Because I think he does. If he wants us to get him right, why does he do that? And this leads us to what God does. So whereas we tend to hold him at a distance, we, we do good things like read scripture as we should. In fact, all of Christian education is about the discipleship of our, of our hearts and minds so that one day God might do this. And that is reveal himself. Verse 17. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Revelation. You see, flesh and blood, that's just a simple rabbinic phrase that says humans can't apprehend this. Peter wasn't given enough information to then make this profession. You remember when he was on the boat and he was sinking a few chapters earlier? And he already called Jesus the Christ. So why does Jesus want it to get... What, what's this? Well, it's often thought that, you know, in a moment of terror, I'm willing to do a lot of things too, you know? Uh, and, and this is one of those sober moments where we see this powerful confession. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You know, it's funny... John, so the Gospel of John, when he refers to Simon, he calls him John's son. His dad was John. And, and Matthew says, son of Jonah. What's up with that? You remember Jonah from the Old Testament? That uh, prophet who uh, was sort of stingy with God's good news, afraid to share it, knowing what would happen. A whole country would come to faith. Kind of reminds me of Peter. Prophets receive revelation from God directly. They are God's mouthpiece. Matthew is saying, as he records this confession, that Simon, Peter, you're receiving from God a direct revelation. It is a gift. Teachers are sure to understand this, that when you're working with, with, a, with a child or a student, and uh, for me it was math, and it took a while. But uh, you're learning about equations, and you're learning about this and that, and, and, the, and the curriculum just comes at you over and over and over and over. And then that day, it's like the lights go off. It's like, ah, I get it. I finally get it. And it's like one of the most gratifying moments for a teacher, for anyone who works with other people, that you've been training them towards something, and then they grasp it. That's what it's like to receive this revelation from God. Someone put it this way, and I really liked it. You know, we often go through the Christian life, catch me there, we often go through the Christian life knowing the lyrics to the song. But being, receiving the gift that Jesus is God is the music being played. So we learn, we learn the chords, we learn the lyrics, we learn the, the theology. That's what we do. That's what we did in the first step, right? We, we tend to distance ourselves and, and just try to compartmentalize and, and name categories. We do those things. That's not always bad. But the gift of revelation is when that music, that sweet music begins to play. And those lyrics all of a sudden well up in our hearts. And what is revealed to a Messiah and Son of God? It fulfills 
the promises that, that he would be the son of David, 2 Samuel 7, who would reign on the throne forever. And Psalm 2, the king who really was the son of God. So what do we do? We rationalize, which isn't always bad, but it inevitably short sights who he is. What does he do? He reveals. And lastly, he rules with us. The last part of our passage has a lot of controversy. As you might know, this is where the Catholics source their theology of the papacy. This is where Peter was the first pope. And I simply just want to argue, I don't want to drill down on that, that this whole last section is Jesus is saying, upon this faith, upon you, Peter, upon the apostles that have walked with me, I'm going to establish, I'm going to recapitulate my people under me. Authority has been granted. You might say, mission erupts with proper identity. That's the result. We push him away, he reveals himself, and we're on. We're going for it. You see, we often put Jesus in one of those smaller boxes. But I want to ask you, do you know the son of the living God, who's not another prophet, another rabbi, another wonder worker. He's the one that Israel was waiting for, the son of David, Abraham's chosen seed, the deliverer from captivity, the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, proclaim the good news to the poor, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He's the embodiment of the new covenant, fulfilled in commandments, and he reversed the curse. He's the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for John through John the Baptist. He's the Father's Son. He's the Savior of the world. Have the lights come on for you? Has the new lens, Jesus himself, been applied to your eyes? There's a puzzling passage um, that just I didn't know what to do with. When, do you remember when John the Baptist, uh, he's in prison, and uh, he says, so are we sure this is the one? Do you remember that? Do you remember what Jesus says about John the Baptist? There's been none like him, ever. One doubting has given the biggest accolade by God in Scripture. And what does he tell him to do? What does he tell his friends to tell John? He gives him Isaiah. He says, see what I've been doing. See that I'm fulfilling these Scriptures. You see, Jesus, though, though we may push him away, though we may compartmentalize him, he desires, he longs to see us. Just think, he's in front of Peter. He doesn't know. You know, in John 17, when he's praying to the Father, he's like, God, I can't wait till you give me all the ones you've cho- you've, you're going to give me. Can't wait to meet them all. You know, I, I just I envision him standing in front of there, and all of a sudden, Peter gets it. And I wonder if Jesus does like that. 
Yes! It's amazing. He wants that from you. Paul would write that where his sin has increased, grace has abounded. Whereas our shallow hearts push, his major heart yanks back. And here's some sweet news. Jesus doesn't try to rationalize you. He doesn't try to create from you a sum of your parts or compartmentalize this behavior or that. No, he doesn't even need the Father's help to understand you. He sees you. He sees you this morning. He enjoys you. He likes you. Even when you mess up. Even this morning. He's not wagging his finger. But through Jesus, he's calling you to himself. So I invite you this morning to let that question hang. Who do you say that I am? And I pray that as you have, and maybe you haven't, that for the first time, for the hundredth time, you'll begin to taste and see. Taste and see. Experience the goodness of God. The Messiah promised. The one from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray together. God most high, We like to scurry. We like to find new things. Novelty seems to win. This morning, would you just call us back to the simple pursuit of your gospel? Bring us eye to eye with your holy, perfect, powerful, lovely Son so that we would go out in his image. We've learned this morning that it is a gift to confess those things. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage those of us here that that we are confessing that. That we're not doubting your work in our hearts because we may not have had a powerful experience. But others of us whose hearts are hard, calloused by life, frayed, by the mess of others. Help us to see. Help us to hear the music of your good news. This is our prayer. And we trust you'll respond with kindness, with gentleness, hope and love and grace for us all. In Jesus' name, amen.